The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Nehemiah chapter number two is where we'll be for our text reading this morning. Nehemiah chapter number two. Uh, We are currently in a series entitled The God Who Builds, and we're studying the Old Testament book. Uh, of the Bible entitled Nehemiah, uh, and we're going through this verse by verse. And over the last few weeks, as we went through uh, chapter number one, we've made our way completely through chapter number one, and today we are going to start on chapter number two of Nehemiah. Now, uh, for those of you who might be familiar to church or new to the Bible, uh, Nehemiah was the governor of Jerusalem during some very difficult time in the nation of Israel's history. Uh, some 450 years before the time of Jesus Christ. And yet even in the midst of these challenging times, God does some incredible things through their lives. And so the theme for this series is simply this, God often does his greatest building at the very place of our most agonizing brokenness. And maybe you're here today and you feel, your experience is that your life is just falling apart. And you feel like whether it be in your marriage, whether it be with your health, whether it be in your career, you feel your experience is one of brokenness. And I want to declare to you based on the authority of the Word of God that God often does His greatest building with the broken pieces of our lives. And uh, we've said for several weeks, uh, God doesn't just build us up in spite of our brokenness, but oftentimes he builds us up literally using the broken pieces of our past, uh, the broken pieces of our lives to put those broken pieces together in a beautiful way uh, that can become a masterpiece for his glory and for our ultimate good. So let's do this though. Nehemiah chapter number two and verse number nine. If you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text today, the book of Nehemiah chapter number two. I'll begin reading in verse number one and we will read down through verse number nine this morning. The Bible says in the book of Nehemiah chapter number two, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, okay, this would be equivalent to our month of April, all right? The 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Remember, Nehemiah, before he was the governor of Jerusalem, served as the cupbearer, or maybe what we would refer to today as the butler of King Artaxerxes. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence, Wherefore, verse 2, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. (laughs) Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. You'll remember from previous weeks that Nehemiah, uh, several months earlier, had gotten news uh, that his city was broken down. And he's burdened about this fact. Verse 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? What are you asking, Nehemiah? Notice what Nehemiah does. So I prayed 
to the God of heaven. Verse 5. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey, convey me over till I come into Judah. Verse 8. And the letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I should enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Verse 9, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the armies and horsemen with me. This morning, I simply want to teach on this subject of the God who builds through faith. We've looked at the God who builds through prayer. We've looked at the God who builds through suffering. And today, we're going to talk about the subject of the God who builds through faith. Shall we have a word of prayer and get into our Bible study this morning? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We're so gracious and thankful for all the goodness that you bestow upon us. Lord, I pray that we would not be a people who just go through the motions of religious activities, that we be a people who just dot our I's and cross our T's and we know how to walk the walk and talk the talk. But Lord, I am praying that you would do a very real work in our soul and spirit, Lord, a a work of radical faith where we trust you and believe you to do great and mighty things through our lives like you did through the life of Nehemiah. I pray that you'd bless this lesson, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Many years ago, several years ago, um, when my daughter was uh, just a little baby, she was probably uh, one and a half, two years old, maybe two and a half, somewhere in that uh, time frame, we were doing this thing, and some of you have heard this story before, but uh, where I would have Ashlyn like jump off of chairs or maybe jump off of a table, and then being the heroic dad that I was, uh, I would uh, catch her. How many of you dads have ever done this game with your kids or maybe a son or a daughter, and it kind of builds the trust a little bit and so every once in a while she'd be you know I'd put her up on something and all right come on you can do this Ashlyn and she'd jump out and then I'd catch her and we'd have fun and kind of play this game a little bit well one day uh my wife's parents had come into town this is while we were living in southern California and uh, we decided to have a barbecue at a park one particular day and so we were going to have some fun and uh, Ashlyn was going to go play on the little playground and the swings and things and my father-in-law was over uh cooking some barbecue and things just a few feet away from where the swing set was and so I was uh pushing Ashlyn on this swing set you know kind of back and forth and as a two and a half year old she's holding on big smile on her face she's having just a ton of fun with this whole thing and uh then about as we're swinging I had this great idea I thought, you know what, this is, a, this is another good opportunity to, to help Ashlyn understand trust. And uh, I said, you know, here's what we're going to do. And I said, I said I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, Ashlyn, I want you to let go and uh, jump off the swing and I'm going to catch you. 
And uh, she kind of could understand what I was saying. So we were talking about this a little bit. And, and so there we were, you know, and I'm pushing her and we're going higher and higher. She got a big smile on her face, you know, she's going back and forth. And I start counting, you know, one and she swings back. And then the next time I push her again in two and she's getting really excited. And uh, just about the time when I was going to say three, which was I told her to jump on three, somebody called my name from behind me. Yeah, I don't know, remember. They say, hey, Josh. And about that time, I remember turning around, kind of losing attention real quick at the exact moment moment where Ashton is literally now flying through the air beside me and I'm doing one of these fatherly I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now I'm turning this way and I'm reaching out for Ashton you know how it is it's all like in slow motion and you're trying to and all of a sudden man she face plants it right into the sand (laughs) I felt so bad you know I got her I was like I think everything's all right I picked her up real quick she looked up at me you know she gave me Look, she couldn't really talk that well at that point in time, but she just, I, I could see what she was saying with her looks. My dad is an idiot, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, here I was trying to develop some faith, some trust in the, the heart of my daughter, and the, the reality is I had let her down. And let me just say this, sometimes when we place our faith and trust in people, they let us down. You ever been let down by another individual, a spouse? Maybe your parent, your kids. When we place our faith and trust in people, now many times they don't, and many times they come through, and that's a wonderful and encouraging thing. But there are times when we place our faith in people, they let us down, much like I let my daughter down on that particular day. But can I say this? When we place our faith in God, He will never let us down. And this morning, I want you to see two important aspects of a life that God is building here from our text. Let's begin reading. Notice here, it says in verse number two, it came to pass in the month Nisan. Now, like I said earlier, this is the month of April for us, all right? This would have been in the springtime. Now, if you compare it here to what was happening in verse number one of chapter number one, uh, when he heard the news of what was going on in Israel, the Bible says in verse one of chapter one that that happened in the month of Chislu, which as we studied a few weeks ago was the month of December. So between chapter number one, verse number one, to chapter number two and verse number one, about four months have now gone by, all right? That's kind of the general time frame. For four months, Nehemiah has been burdened. For four months, he's been praying. For four months, he has been fasting. Uh, For four months, he has been planning and trying to seek the Lord as to what God would have him do. And now four months into this journey, the Bible says he's standing before Artaxerxes. And notice what the Bible says here. It says in verse number two, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance, uh, he says here, uh, sad, seeing thou art sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And notice that it says then, I was very sore afraid. Notice that word, afraid. Why would Nehemiah have been afraid in this situation? Well, if you understand kind of uh, this day and age, to speak to a king in the manner that Nehemiah was about to approach him in and to have this countenance that Nehemiah had uh, in the face or in the presence of a monarch, in the presence of a king, uh, this could very easily have cost him his job. 
all right? Uh, this is not like, you know, you going to work and having a bad day. I mean, when, when you are the uh, supreme ruler and dictator of the known world, your servants, those who serve you, you've got to be on point, you know? And here, all of a sudden, Nehemiah gets afraid, is what the verse says in verse number two, because he understands, man, if he has the wrong countenance, if he says the wrong thing, he could very easily lose his job. And as you'll see in the book of Esther, when she approaches the king and makes a request, she wanted other people to pray for her because she was in fear of her very life. And Nehemiah would have sensed this exact same thing. As he approaches the king to make a request, it was very, very easy for the king to have put him to death. And so here Nehemiah starts to get a little bit nervous. He starts to get a little bit scared because he realizes not only might he lose his job, he could very easily lose his life. But Nehemiah demonstrates here some tremendous faith. Just like Esther would as she stood before the king, Nehemiah is going to demonstrate some audacious faith. He is going to literally put words to the burden on his heart, even though those words might cost him his job, even though what he's about to ask might even cost him his very life. We see that Nehemiah is about to demonstrate some audacious faith, not in a king, but ultimately he is going to express audacious faith faith in God, which brings us to our first main point this morning, and that is this. If you're taking notes in your service program, I want you to notice a radical faith, a radical faith. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number six says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here Nehemiah is demonstrating some very audacious and radical faith by approaching the king, by requesting and making this request to the king. It was radical in nature. Uh, Let me give you a definition for faith here. We'll put this on the screens. Faith is absolute certainty in the promises, power, and provision of God that causes true believers to actually do what God leads them to do. This is a definition of faith. Faith is not just something that happens cerebrally. Faith is something more than what happens in your mind academically. Faith is is an absolute certainty in in who God is and what he's capable of, uh, of, that it, it, it literally stirs something inside of you that causes you to do and to live and to act and to behave in a way that is consistent with the belief that God has promises for you, that God is in charge and he's powerful and he can provide in light of whatever he is leading you into. So here Nehemiah was willingly literally to risk it all. He was willing to risk his career. He was willing to risk his financial stability. He was willing to literally even risk his very own life. Why? Why was he willing to do this? He did it in order to co-labor with God in a building project that would impact many, many, many lives. But while Nehemiah was scared, as it says in verse number two, The reason he was able to step out in faith is because he had an absolute certainty, not not in this king of Persia, 
Not in King Artaxerxes, but in the person of God. He believed the promises of God. He believed the power of God, the provision of God. And that belief, that absolute certainty, caused him to audaciously and radically step out in faith and make a request to the king. He was confident in his God. He knew who his God was. So I ask you this question today. In what areas of your life are you so confident in the character, provision, power, and promises of God, you're so certain about it that it has changed the way you act? It's changed the way you live. It changes the way you respond and, and you behave. We, we have an opportunity here in front of us as a church family corporately. For the last several weeks since vision service, we've had the opportunity to prayerfully consider the opportunity that God has placed in front of us to launch out by faith and secure more square footage for future children's and teen and and use that can be used for the ministries here. God's made that opportunity available to us. And we're at a situation right now where we as a church corporately as Christians and believers individually, we've got to ask the Lord here right now is where is our faith in this situation? Are we absolutely certain of the promises of God? Are we so convinced of his power, of his provision in our lives, that it stirs something in us for us to take some radical steps of audacious faith, of radical faith? And and that's where we find ourselves corporately. Uh, Let me ask you individually. Maybe there's something in your life. Maybe it's in your work life. Maybe it's something God's leading you to do in your family life. And you know that the Spirit of God is leading you into it, but the reality is you are having a hard time taking that step of faith. Can I say this? You don't just willpower your way into these steps of faith. You get so fixated. You get so focused on the promises, the power and provision of God, that you allow that to literally change you from the inside out. You allow that to change your soul and change your spirit to a place that literally now you can't help but do and act and respond in a way that's consistent with those beliefs of who God really is. You don't just make yourself step out by faith. You get fixated on a God who's provided, on a God who is powerful, and a God who has made promise after promise after promise in your situation. I think about seasons, and I'm so thankful over the years how there have been so many individuals at Ambassador who have been willing to step out in radical, audacious faith in order to take steps into our future and to move forward. Uh, Many of you will remember the night we gathered together for prayer and to make commitments regarding this particular facility. At the time, we were meeting at a little chapel at 3354 West Clinton, and uh, we were believing that God wanted something more for us at that season. We were in multiple services, we were crammed in, and we felt like, I think at the time, there was something like, oh, maybe 22, 23 parking spots that we had, and most of you parked out in a field or along the street, and it just was becoming very impractical for us to continue to move forward as a church family in that limited space, and so one evening, we gathered together uh, on a property, and we had dinner, and we began to pray, and we began to seek the Lord's face, and begin to ask the Lord what He would have for us to do as individuals, so that corporately, we could continue moving forward as a, as a church family. 
as many of you did, you begin to pray, and I, I begin to pray, and begin to ask the Lord what He would have us to do. I remember that night just bowing my head and saying, Lord, what is it that you would want me to give? And that night we wrote a check and the offering, and it was the time when the commitment cards came in, and that was an opportunity to literally make commitments by faith. The Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I remember the Lord just began to lay on my heart an amount. And, and at that point in time, it was far more than anything I had access to. It was more than I had in my bank accounts. And I remember sitting there thinking, Lord, is this really what you want me to commit over the next 12 months? And I remember having a peace, though I was nervous and I was scared, that this is what the Lord would have. I remember writing that down and making that commitment and just really believing that in order for that to come to pass, there would have to be an, a trust in the provision and power of God, not just for that moment, but for the oncoming year. And so in a spirit of kind of giving from a fir- first fruits perspective, I remember every week writing an amount for a couple hundred dollars just for this building, just to get into this, above and beyond my general gifts, above and beyond you know what we were given to missions writing out a check, not knowing then at that point how all the other things in our family we're going to be getting taken care of. I'm talking about like groceries and talking about just basic needs, wanting to give that to God first and then trust him with the rest. See, sometimes we make commitments and we're like, okay, God, I'm going to make this commitment and I'm going to pay my bills and I'm going to make care everything's taken care of. And if there's anything left over, if you give anything at leftover, God, then I, by faith, I'm going to give that to you. And that's the spirit in which sometimes we'll make commitments. And, and yet when, when I've made commitments and when many of you have made commitments, you flipped that around. It's been opposite. It's like, okay, God, I commit to give this to you. And then by faith, I trust that you're going to provide groceries. <laughs> I'm going to commit this to you, and then by faith, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of my vehicle situation. And myself and many of you have done that. And I'm just, I'm thinking back to how God has used those things and how there are many folks who are here right now in this room, and you, you never were a part of the church family at 3354 West Clinton. Everything you know at Ambassador has happened at this location because there was somebody who was willing to sacrifice radically, who was willing to be generous sacrificially in order to make something like this possible. As we, as a family, my wife and I, as we've been praying and as I've been praying about what the Lord would have us do, I'm beginning to feel like in what because of the opportunity that lies before us, because we are at a pivotal place in our church family in order to move forward. As we're raising funds to kind of, you know, create a place for the next generation, you know, both with the children, uh, both with teens, to create more ministry opportunity spaces for us to further the ministry here in Fresno. We're at a pivotal moment. In fact, this is one of the most important seasons as a church family we've had in the last four or five years. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can tend to get the idea, well, our church just kind of does this, and it all just kind of works out. And if we're not careful, we begin to see our role as being vicarious. Like, well, my church steps out by faith, and my church gives radically, and my church is generous, and we begin to find our spirituality vicariously through what the church corporately does. And, and what I want to challenge our church family with is this, is our radical generosity, our willingness to sacrifice and to give is only as strong as us, our individual sacrifice as our individual generosity as our individual faith there is none of this the faith of this church 
We are the church. You are the church. I am the church. And it's in that spirit that as I've been seeking the Lord, I really feel like tonight I will write the largest gift donation financially in one single check that I've ever written in my life. You say, are you saying that to brag? I'm not. The reason I'm saying that is I I want you to know this. Number one, I want to lead the way in this. I want you to know that you have a pastor who's invested into this thing, who's not just trying to encourage you to do something and challenge you to do something that he's not willing to do himself. And I'm going to be honest with you. I want your prayer because personally, I'm a little bit nervous for me. (laughs) I'm scared. My wife can tell you. Like, there's a part of me emotionally that doesn't want to do it. But I'll say this, as scared as my emotions may be, and as confused as I don't know how it's all going to work out, I believe in the promises of God, that they are greater. I believe that his power is big enough, and that his provision is strong enough to take us through whatever his spirit would lead us to do. Now, as we say often around here, it's not about equal giving. That may not be what God's doing for you. That may not be what God's leading you as a couple or you as a family to do. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to say there come seasons in our lives where we have to demonstrate radical faith. And in 21st century America, it is very, very difficult to express radical faith because we have credit cards and American Express and we have all these different ways to kind of make our life work. We have a lot at our disposal and I'm not saying we don't have specific challenges, but the reality is all, all of us have ways, if we're not careful, it's, it's easy for us to structure our lives so that we don't need to live by faith. And one of the things I want to do is I want to call our church into radical faith. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And one of the reasons Christians struggle to have a heart for God, and one of the reasons they have a heart uh, to struggle with the mission that God has is because they invest none of their treasure into it. And so they struggle to have a heart for God. They struggle to have a heart for God's mission in Fresno, in this place. Boy, they've not invested any into it. And I want to say this, that I don't want my heart to be there. I want my heart to be at a place where it's invested in the work of God, where it's invested in the will of God, where it's invested in the mission of God. Because I know wherever I put my treasure, my heart will eventually follow and your heart will do the same thing. But it takes radical faith. It's not just a corporate thing. It's a personal thing. Pastor Nick, as he was preaching last week, mentioned George Mueller. George Mueller had this to say at one season in his life. It was in his journals that Pastor Nick referred to. He said this, I only have $5 to my name. But every single one of the promises of God. The reality is, As you step out by radical faith, you might be in a situation where you're like, ah, I don't know how this is going to come together. But I want to say to you, you have the promises, the provision, and the power of God at your back. And you can trust him. And this is a way where you can exercise your faith in him and see your heart and affection for the work of God and the mission of God and the person of God expanded.
See, as Americans, we want God to grow our faith. We just don't want to do anything to make it happen. We see Nehemiah expressed expressed a radical faith. He was willing to lay his career on the line. He was willing to lay his financial situation on the line. He was willing to lay even the potential of losing his life. He was willing to risk his very own life in order to step out and follow the Lord. But let's keep reading. Not only do we see a radical faith here, but let's keep reading in verse number 4. Nehemiah chapter number uh, 2, verse number 4 says this. Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? He says, what do you need? And notice this. So he prayed to the God of heaven. I I love how Nehemiah wisely made his request to the king of kings before he made his request to the king of Persia. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Let's keep reading. And Nehemiah said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, and thou wouldest send me to Jerusalem and to the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. You see Nehemiah here, he's got a plan. He's saying, all right, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would give me a leave of absence. I know I've served you. I know I've worked for you. I know I'm your servant, but would you send me? Nehemiah realized he wouldn't be able to go without the blessing of this king, and and so he asks for that. But that's not all he asked for. The king said unto him, the queen was with him, how long shall thy journey be? How long, how will, when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. Not only did Nehemiah know who was, you know, going to go. He said, hey, send me. He says, I know how long this thing will take me. And so he literally gives Nehemiah a schedule here. Let's keep reading. Verse number seven, moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river Euphrates, if you study the context here, that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. So as the king, Nehemiah was going to have to travel quite a ways to get there to Jerusalem. And there were other kingdoms that he would have to travel through and there could be a lot of danger. But if he had a, a letter from the king Artaxerxes, those kings would let him pass through their nations. And so Nehemiah had thought this thing through. This was not just some random request. This was not just something that off the spur of the moment. This is something for these four months Nehemiah had been planning. Nehemiah had been thinking about. Nehemiah knew if God gave him an opportunity to speak, he knew exactly what he would say. And so he asked the king for a letter, send me, make it possible for me to travel through these nations. Notice he keeps reading in verse number eight. And he says, also, if you'll give me a letter, a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And so he says, not only am I going to need letters and not only do I need to be commissioned and be sent, he says, would you also make it possible for me to have the resources, the resources that I need? And he keeps reading here. Verse nine, then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains and the army of the horsemen with me. See, Nehemiah, he stepped out in radical faith. But I want you to notice the Bible tells us that while Nehemiah was fasting for these months, he was praying night and day. But you can tell from reading these five verses that he wasn't just kind of thinking about it in this random sense. Like, well, God, you just make this happen. No, Nehemiah was being very strategic about how he would do this. He was planning, he was letting, he was trying to get God's heart. How could we make this happen to the point where literally in this passage we see the specifics he, he, he planned for exactly what it would take to make this happen. He knew, if I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to need letters. I'm going to need to be able to be sent out by the king. He also had a schedule. He knew how long this thing would take. 
He told the king exactly how long it would take to build walls. This is not just a number that Nehemiah just kind of throws out there. This reveals that Nehemiah had been thinking about this thing. He'd been planning this thing. He had been preparing it. Not only that, he not only had specifics and schedule, there's even an element of a budget. He knew the resources that he would need in order to make this happen. He knew, I'm going to need some timber. He knew some of the supplies that he would need. He knew that there might be some people who would have to go with him, and he was willing in a moment, didn't know when that moment would come, but when God gave him a moment, an opportunity, Nehemiah was going to be ready. Why? Because he had planned and he had prepared, which brings us to our next point this morning. Not only did God's grace produce a radical faith in Nehemiah's heart, but it also developed, number two, I want you to see a strategic plan, a strategic plan. Sometimes we'll get this idea as believers, you know, well, we just got to have to pray, and then God somehow magically kind of just all makes it happen. But the reality is this. That wasn't the case in Nehemiah's situation. Yes, he prayed. Yes, he fasted. Yes, he took time to share and pour out his burdened heart. But he also recognized that it wasn't wrong to have a strategic plan. The book of Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom, says this, prepare thy work without. Make it fit for thyself and thy field. Afterwards, build thy house. What it's saying in this passage is, hey, prepare your work. Know what's going to need to be done. It is not wrong for Christians and believers who hold to the sovereignty of God, who believe in God's sovereign, provident nature. It is not wrong for those individuals also to have a plan to be prepared, to have a schedule, to have a budget, to know what needs to take place, how it needs to take place. And so as a church over the years, we have always tried to balance these two tensions of going to God in prayer, having radical faith, stepping out, believing that God can use our generosity and our sacrificiality, but also realizing that it's not wrong to have a strategic plan, to have a schedule, to have a budget, to have a timetable, to figure out what resources are going to be needed and then have the courage just to pray with one another to communicate with one another and share to make this happen this is how this is how we believe God's leading us to make this happen and so as a church family we've been doing our best to communicate with you we've had several meetings with many different groups many some of you have been invited and it didn't always work in your schedule maybe to get to every particular one but we've done our best to write letters to share the need to give a timeline, to share a budget, to talk about what the need is. But at the end of the day, we're not going to plan and organize and administrate our way into this thing. By prayer, we're going to take a step of faith into it. So we have a strategic plan, but at the end of the day, it's going to take God. One proverb says this, not in the Bible, but just, I think it's a maybe a Chinese proverb or something, it says, he who aims at nothing hits it every time. (laughs) And as a church, we've tried to have enough wisdom to recognize, hey, we're going to aim for something, but God is ultimately the one that's going to have to come through. My friends, spiritual faith is not opposed to strategic planning. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. That's why God gives us wisdom. That's why he's given us a brain. He's given us a mind. In fact, in some places, the scriptures even say, man, how the children of this world are are wiser than the children of light. 
Because oftentimes the children of light, the, the children of God, we just, we kind of, oh, God's in control. He's sovereign. He's going to do whatever. So we just sit around and do nothing. And yet you'll see, even in the case of, of Joseph, in the case of Nehemiah, there are many illustrations throughout Scripture where God in his sovereignty and in his grace gives those who are leading wisdom to plan, to prepare, to schedule to budget, but not place their dependence on those things, but to place their dependence upon God. And this is a tension that we've tried to manage as a church, to plan, to prepare, to schedule, to budget, but ultimately find our dependence and our trust and place our faith in God. Planning doesn't negate trust. Planning doesn't negate, preparation doesn't negate faith. We need to step out by faith and expect God to do what only he can do. So we see in this passage, verse number one through verses number four, a radical faith. Nehemiah was willing to put everything on the line. But then we see a strategic plan. But at the end of the day, Nehemiah's hope was not in his plans, was not in his preparations. His ultimate hope was in his God, who could do exceeding abundantly above all that he could ask or think. So here's our takeaway. Pray for faith. Pray for faith. Prepare with faith. And then perform it by faith. What step of faith is God leading you to take? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How is the Spirit of God leading you to take an audacious, radical step of faith? Some people might say, well, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. How many of you have heard this one before? Fine line between faith and foolishness. Pastor, what's the line between faith and foolishness? They want to know. I get this question a lot. Well, and basically what it comes down to is foolish is anything I'm uncomfortable with and faith is anything I am comfortable with. But what is the fine line between faith and foolishness? Some people would define it this way. I make X amount of dollars. Since I make this much, I don't want to give too much because that would be foolish. But I don't want to give too little because that would lack faith. So since I make X, we'll avoid that. We try to find this middle point between, you know, not too foolish, but, you know, and and we think it's a dollar amount. Can I say this? The line between faith and foolishness is not a physical entity. If that's the way you process and the way you try to figure out the difference between faith and foolishness, you've got it all wrong. I want to encourage you to transcend your thinking for a moment. The line between faith and foolishness is not an amount. It's not a physical speciality. It's a specific. The line between faith and foolishness has everything to do with your, with your spirit in that faith. You say, what do you mean by that? The reality is, God wants our hearts to be hearts of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. In our giving, he tells us to give with joy. He calls us to be radically generous. These are states of being. He wants it to be driven by love and by peace. The line between faith and foolishness is not a dollar amount. 
The line between faith and foolishness is not some physical thing. The way we find out where that point is is by going and transcending that and asking ourselves some heart questions. As I'm giving, does my giving come from right values? Do I value the power and the provision and promises of God? Do I believe that? And does my giving reflect that truth? Where does it come from? Does our benevolence come from a place of radical generosity like we see in Acts chapter number two? Does it come from a place of joyful cheerfulness like we see in 1 Corinthians? You see, those are the marks of how we know where our giving should be. They're states of being. They're they're fruit of the Spirit that then informs. So I ask you, how are you at stepping out by faith? Faith's not opposed to planning, but don't let your planning limit your God. And that's the point. Nehemiah, strategic plan, but ultimately... It was wrapped up in radical faith. What is it the Lord wants you to do in your personal life? And what is God calling you to do corporately as part of the body of Christ in this local congregation to be radical in your generosity, sacrificial in your giving, cheerful in your willingness to bestow upon others for the next generation? Because as we've said before, Christianity is literally only one generation away from extinction and this is the time to pour into the next generation to do everything we can to help and to encourage and to support our teenagers and our children and those who are coming to faith in Christ to get them the gospel to grow them so they can grow in grace how is God going to use your faith to develop greater grace through the lives of others? That's the question. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.